Welcome to the O-Shift for Teens podcast, a show where I team up with a thought leader and we discuss a new topic question that will help you better understand your teens. I'm your host, Mark Tucker, co-author of O-Shift for Teens and its accompanying workshop kit and curriculum. This super easy to facilitate, life-changing material is being used by folks just like you throughout the United States and beyond. Head to oshift.com and choose one of the many ways you can become involved in this worldwide movement. Well, hello to all of you out there. It's spring. Spring is underway. Hopefully the snow is melting wherever you are and you're starting to think about summer and kids off of school and uh, what all that brings. Uh, Hopefully you have a game plan. I'm super excited to officially announce uh, an endeavor. I've talked a little bit about it before, but an endeavor that I've um, started with a buddy of mine in New York, Keith Senzer. Keith, of course, is our lead O-Shift for Teens facilitator, uh, operating mostly on the East Coast and beyond. But uh, Keith and I have started 21st Century Youth. You can go to 21stCenturyYouth.com and check out what we're all about. It's all about kids being the leaders of their own lives. And so many times we try to teach kids to be leaders, but there's only so many people that can be leaders, but we at least want our kids to be the leaders of their own lives so they can make the right decisions, resist negative influences, be a victor and not play the victim role. I'm reading this right off the website. Be accountable for themselves and react to challenges in a way that serves their best interests. And isn't that what we want for our kids? Head over to the website and you can see that we have um, planned a youth empowerment retreat in August, uh, August 24th through 27th for teens age 14 to 16. That's a real good age where we can still have some influence over our kids. Hopefully we can at any age, but uh, we've chosen uh, that age group to do our youth empowerment camp. Uh, it's going to be in Northeast Pennsylvania. And listen, we're looking to uh, partner with different organizations that might have groups of teens that they might want to send to this camp. If that might be something that you are interested in, uh, if you uh, run an organization or are involved in an organization that that might be appealing to, uh, we can offer uh, some sort of uh, incentive to make that happen. Email me at mark at oshift.com. Of course, that's my email. You can email me for any reason, but um, super excited about that. That's going to be happening uh in August, but of course, already the website is up. Go check it out. I'm awfully proud of it. Enough about that. Let's get to our show. I'm excited about today's show. I had a conversation just a little while ago with Nancy Graby. Uh, She is a counselor, therapist, and speaker. We had a real nice conversation, and the topic was, how do we move from teaching to consulting with our teens? Great conversation. I think you'll enjoy it, so let's get to that right now. My guest today is Nancy Graby. Nancy Graby is a counselor, therapist, and speaker who works with kids from age nine and up, as well as parents in the areas of trauma, anxiety, depression, and self-esteem. Along with her cognitive, behavioral, and psychotherapy work, Nancy is a certified facilitator for HOPE workshops for adults and H2H workshops for teens. These workshops help people learn to process pain and disappointment in a healthy, meaningful way. In her private practice, Nancy is all about healing the brokenhearted and helping people overcome emotional pain in order to live abundant lives. Nancy, welcome to the show. Thank you. So nice to have you. Now, where are you calling from? 
I'm calling from the uh, metro Atlanta, Georgia area. Now, I know that a lot of the work that you do is with um, some really challenging issues with kids, and I know that you have a lot of love for kids. When I sent the uh, list of topics to discuss, um, you kind of came up with your own, and it was how do we move from teaching to consulting with our teens? And what, what, what is it about that topic that uh, you were drawn to? I think that because I do see so much trauma and, and so much difficulty, um, and parents are always saying to me, well, well what do I do? How, how do I keep my kid from ending up there? Um, it always comes back to kid communication. And the biggest complaint about communication that I hear from the kids, the teens, and the young adults that I work with is, is that my parents still treat me like I was nine. They don't listen. You know, how can I ever learn to do these things if they don't let me? And so if I think that that is the overlying thing that we can, the helicopter parent, so to speak, that one that won't let go, keeps their children from, from learning and, and growing and get, getting the intellectual and emotional muscle to make good decisions. And they tend to run off into college and um, in high school even and get into trouble. And the parents that don't have enough control, their kids run amok because they don't know what's right and wrong. And so I think finding that balance is such an important gift to parents. What do you think makes it so challenging for parents to sort of transition from treating your kids like they're nine and, and so now there's a void as they're above nine? What, what's keeping parents from, from making that transition, do you think? Well, sometimes it's that we have younger children and so it's like we're in that mode in the teaching and training mode, and it's hard to turn it off, especially because I've still got a younger one I'm teaching and training, and we have this misconception that we need to treat them all the same. Um, sometimes it's with fear, you know? Oh, you know, what if I haven't taught them yet? What if they don't know? Or the other piece of it is, is that it's just what they do. This is what parents do. I've been doing this for the first nine years, you know, and they have no idea how to move into it, so they don't. Right. Okay. Okay. And and what now in your work, what kinds of problems are showing up uh, because of this lack of communication? You know, a lot of times it's um, kids getting into things like sexually risky situations or drinking, um, taking off without telling parents where they're going. Um, Place, things that, that, that make people feel afraid for the safety of their kids. Um, and, and it also makes them rebellious. Um, a lot of times I'll have parents come in and they're like, you know, my kid is always yelling at me. He's never respectful. They never do what I tell them to do. And, and that's a really horrible place to be as a parent. I've raised two kids, you know. Um, we don't want to get into that kind of power struggle with our children. Um, and we want to have good relationships with them when they get older. And if you want to have that, you've got to set the, a good foundation now so that when they're in their 20s and 30s, they want to talk to you. They yeah. want to share their lives. It feels like, you know, a lot of times parents, as they see their kids getting a little older, in those sort of preteen years even, it's almost terrifying to, to realize that these kids – if they sort of wanted to, they could, they could totally rebel and we would feel very powerless. I, I honestly think it's one of the fears that adults have with teens in general is that what do you do? How do you, I mean, if they really wanted to just, 
you know, stick their middle finger up at you. Like, what do you do? You know, it it, it is terrifying. Well, I think it's funny. I I have two sons um, who are now grown. One of them turned 29 yesterday. And they turned out okay, and they want to talk to me, and they think that's fabulous. Um, the, The younger one would get mad, and he would tell, you know, say something ugly or be rude. And my stance with him always, whether it was in public or alone with him privately, was to look at him and very sternly and very seriously say, I don't deserve to be spoken to like that. Yeah. And then I went on with the conversation as though nothing had happened. Yes. And you know what? At first, it was every four or five times he would show up and say, I'm really sorry, Mom. You know, that was really rude. And eventually, he got to the point where he always came back. And now, as a young man, you know, when he starts to get angry, he stops himself. And he goes, you know, you don't deserve that. I'm really frustrated. I'm really angry. And we can talk about it. But what happens as a parent is like, you are not going to talk to me like that. And we punish them. We shut them down instead of finding out why is my kid who's always been nice, always been a good kid, suddenly off the chain. You know, you you bring up a couple of really good things, and I, and I really want my listeners to pause here and think about it. Uh, and this is something I used to do with the teens that I taught in high school. Um, if you're giving them reasons to, to treat you like that, kids will take – they'll call you on it. You know, if you're being disrespectful to kids and talking to them very condescendingly, well, you sort of set yourself up to receive that kind of treatment back. And so I, would, I wouldn't do that. I would just, you know, treat them uh, as, with as much respect as I could so that when the time came and they were overreacting to me or, or talking to me uh, in a disrespectful way – I could legitimately say, I'm like, well, what's going on? It's, you know, I don't, I don't talk to you that way. So, so what's, what's happening here? Um, it's a very, it's a much more powerful position to be in when, when you could say something like that. But when you, when you are speaking sort of regularly disrespectfully or condescendingly, and I understand why people do it, you get tired. Um, but you really, you really give them an opportunity to say, well, cause you're a dick, you know, you're, you know, it becomes a battle. So I think that's very, very important what you said about well, that. Well, let's take it to, to, to the next step. So, you know, when it happens when they're nine, a lot of times it's because they're testing it out. Hey, I heard my friend talk to his mom like that. Let's see if this flies. And, and, you know, and so it's not all horrible if you go, you know, off on them. Because then they're going to know, you you can't do that. But you're setting yourself up if you go off on them. Instead of saying, you know, that's unacceptable. We don't do that at our house. And the sooner you stop talking, the more impactful it is. As parents, we forget and we think the more we say, the more impactful it is. And that if we get them to agree, like somehow if I say enough, my kid's going to look at me and go, thank you, Mom, that was really good advice and I feel much better now and I will never speak to you like that again. No child ever did that. Right. (laughs) You know? And and so we stop. I tell parents, and I hate the word shut up, but it works really well for this. I say, say your piece and shut up. Let it sink in because if you keep talking, then it becomes about how unreasonable you are, how much you lecture them, how difficult you are to talk to instead of about their bad behavior. Yeah. And we want to keep it always on them. If he or she spoke badly to you, then you want to say, 
I don't deserve that. We don't talk like that at our house. And then go on with the conversation expecting them to change their behavior. Right? If they don't change their behavior, the conversation's over. And you say, you know what? When you're calm and you can speak to me politely, we'll finish this conversation. And then shut up and walk away. Mm. I love that Monty Python, run away, run away. Sometimes we need to. <laughs> we need to run away because this kid's going to suck me into a fight if I stay. And, uh, but it's, a, it's good to set a time. And, and that's one of the skills that I like to teach parents is time out is different for a young, young child, right? I put a little kid in timeout because they need to be alone and they need to think and they need to calm down and they learn, need to self-soothe. But a 9 and 10-year-old, they don't need to be put in timeout to self-soothe. And if they do, they need therapy. But if, they, if they're just like blowing it and, we're, and they're sucking me in and I'm going to stay and do things I don't like, I, I call timeout. I say, listen, we're going to take a timeout like in football. And I'm going to go to my corner, you're going to go to yours, and we're going to think about it. And honestly, I'm going to think about it from your perspective, Johnny, and I want you to think about it from mine. And we're going to come back and set a time and a place so that everybody feels like as if this isn't over, you know, but we're going to come back to it. And sit back down an hour later, 20 minutes, go for a walk, have him go for a walk, whatever it is, and then sit down and say, you know, Johnny, I think if I were nine, you know, I would want to go and, and spend the night at my friend's house too, even though, you know, his mom and dad aren't going to be home until 10 o'clock. And, and I get that, and I think that I would feel like as if my parents were being unreasonable because they wouldn't let me. And I'm really sorry that you feel that way. And your kid looks at you like, oh, you totally get it, so you're going to let me go? <laughs> and you're like, no. No, I'm just understanding it. I get yeah. why you're frustrated. And, and it's, it's good to say that to them. They're allowed to have their feelings. They just can't be right. ugly about them. And, right. and listening to those feelings allows them to feel like they can tell you anything. And, and then I asked them the same thing. I said, do you, what do you think? You've been thinking about it from my perspective as a mom or as a dad or as parents. What do you think? Would you let your nine-year-old go to you know, his friend's house? and spend the night if the parents weren't going to be home until 10. Who knows what they're going to say. Uh, yeah, I would. But, I mean, if, if, they, if they're being honest, then, of course, they, they can be just as sensible as you're being. Absolutely. And it's a beautiful place to have some agreement and go, you know what, but he can come here or we can coming up with another plan. But yeah. saying to them, I understand what you want and how you feel. doesn't mean I agree with you I'm going to let you do it. But I understand. Don't we all want that? Well, and, and right, and, and, and not only that, I mean, that, that's, that's an advanced skill that I think that we can strive for, but at the very least, by that, taking that time out, it takes you out of that anger state that, I'm, oh, yeah. you, that you have every right to be as a parent who's this little kid has just popped off to you. You have the chance to sort of let, let that settle and so we can regroup and come back in a more logical state. Absolutely. I, I think the, the other thing I think that it's John Roseman does, and I really love it for parents, is the, the seat of reason or the chair of reason. And, and I have used it, and I've taught parents to use it, and it's really beautiful. He pulls out a chair when a kid is asking for something totally unreasonable. And he says, let me pull out the chair of reason. And you sit down in the chair, and you say, okay, so go ahead and tell me why I should let you, you know, 
go to this concert, you know, you're 12, go to the concert without any supervision, you know, and uh, or whatever, you know, like not going to happen. And the kid goes, well, you know, everybody's doing it. And they talk for 10 minutes and you listen and you shake your head and go, mm-hmm. And I always encourage parents to find one intelligent thing that their kids said. You know, like, mm. I really love the way you spoke to me. You know, I love the way you laid that out so logically. Or, you know, that's a good point that you and your friend have always been honest and trustworthy. You know, those are things I should take into consideration. And then you say, after you've given them a compliment, anything, and there's always something, you know, thanks for taking the time to think. If, you can't, if they've said nothing intelligent, thank you for taking <laughs> the time to, to say all that to me and letting me hear your thoughts. And you think for a minute and look pensive. And then you look back at them and go, you know what? I really appreciate all that information, but I have to say that from the chair of reason, I I can't let you do that. But thanks. And you get up, and as you're getting up, they go, oh, you're so unreasonable. You sit down and go, did you have more to share? (laughs) You sit in the chair. You can't always do this because there's oftentimes that life is just too crazy. But when you do have the opportunity... You know, and you do that a few times. I'll, I've gotten up and down out of the chair six times before my son finally goes, this is it's never going to change, is it? I'm like, no. <laughs> you know, and he walks away. But, you know, it's so funny. Sometimes he'll pull out the chair and go, I need you to sit in the chair of reason. Yeah, that tells me, ooh, I'm not listening. You know, and uh, that's what I do for a living. So, you know, but it's, it gave him permission to say to me in a not rude or disrespectful way, you're not listening. Because when a kid looks at you and goes, you're not listening, those are words for a good fight, right? But when mm-hmm. your kid says, hey, you need to pull out that chair of reason, you all laugh because you realize what's going on mm-hmm. if you've been using it. And there are other times <laughs> when I'll say, I'll pull out the chair of reason, and my kids will go, forget it. You know, it's like, because they know. <laughs> but it's, it's been fun. Um, and it's good to make it light. We just get so heavy. It's like it doesn't have to be. Enjoy them and, and let them figure it out. What a great gift to teach your children how to reason and to explain themselves and to ask for things because it's not just going to be you, but someday it will be a boss or their professor at college or their roommate or their boyfriend or their husband and wife, you know, whomever it is in their lives. This is a life skill. And it's keeping you from fighting. So uh, jumping back a little bit, uh, you, you, you said at the beginning that parents aren't doing this. So this is a skill that they can begin doing this. Now I want to talk about why it's so critical that they do. Because we, you and I were talking a little bit before um, this, and you were talking about some of the uh, things that kids have access to now that they didn't used to have yeah. access to and if we're if we're not the ones talking to them and helping sort things out um, we create all kinds of issues so what are, what are some things that they're sort of that you're finding in your practice that kids are getting exposed to but there's no healthy uh, place for them to sort of sort those things out sort those things out yeah um, you know our kids have got smartphones and, and I always like to say it's not real smart to give a small child a smartphone um, because they don't know what is good to look at and what's not. They don't have the ability to discern that yet. And so kids as young as fifth grade, fifth, fifth grade, five years old in kindergarten rather, kindergarten are seeing hardcore pornography. And it may not be your child that's pulling it up, but the kid who sits beside him on the bus saw his big brother, his father, his uncle, somebody watching it, he got hooked, he's watching it, and he shows it to your child. 
if you're not making a safe place for communications with your kids and you're going, wow, when they say things, they are not yeah. going to come home and tell you they saw a naked lady on, their, on the smartphone. Right. And you want them to. As much as I don't want to hear that, I want to hear it from my kid because I want to be the one who talks about it, who explains it. I don't want them getting explained to by the fifth graders right. at school. And that's who they're going to turn to if you're not emotionally available. The other thing that's happening is, is that because teenagers, or little kids are seeing this pornography, kindergarten, fourth, fifth grade, up through there, by the time they're in middle school, we have got sexual acts going on. We are having those young teens, 10 and up, young kids turning around and now sexually abusing younger children. Sometimes it's because they've been abused, but a lot of times it's because they've watched pornography and they don't know what to do with all those feelings and and thoughts that they have. I see. Yeah, I mean, when we when I was a kid, I mean, if you came across a, a a dirty magazine, it was like once in a great while. But literally, at the the touch of your fingers, you can be, as you said, watching like hardcore porn, and so these kids are having access to that. So, and they're gonna, they're gonna, they're interested. I mean, especially males, they're drawn to that. They're they're drawn to that. it's part of our survival to be drawn to that. Yet it's it's like. It's like being in a candy store and, and you get to have whatever you want. And so it's got to be well, confusing. It goes a little further than that. And here's another thing to think about is, is that boys and girls are living in a world now where we're talking about bisexual, omnisexual, you know, heterosexuals. It's like, who am I? What am I? And they start asking these questions much younger than we ask them. And yeah. it is... Prov- prevalent in the, the younger kids and on the internet that the best way to test that is to go watch pornography and see which kind of pornography excites you. Mm-hmm. Well, I can tell you that that's inaccurate and, and I would point parents to go and look for the research, but you know, when you watch pornography, it doesn't matter if it's male and male, female and female and male and female, the human person responds to sexuality and to the naked body. We all do. And so these kids are getting really confused and thinking, oh, I'm gay or I'm bisexual or I'm omnisexual because everything turns me on. Because they don't have anybody to talk to but their peers, they're getting bad information and they're really having a lot of sexual identity issues that we weren't seeing in our, you know, earlier generations. Okay, so so I'm a parent now, and and you just told me I really should be talking to my kids about that. Well, really quick, I mean, how does that conversation go? It's like, yeah, I was, you know, I was having sex when I was 14. Yeah, or is it your ex, <laughs> your, your exploits, or is you know what's what's the nature of the conversation? The nature of that conversation. Think that it, it will surprise you that the place to start is by having good. Um, conversational skills with your kids. So when they start, you know, eight, nine, ten years old, they start saying things that you don't agree with, taking that deep breath and not reacting. And I tell parents, give them five. Give them five good questions before you have an emotional response or you tell them what they have to do. Of course, you know, if you're going to put your hand in the fire that, or run across the street, you know, and heavy traffic, that's different. But when we're talking about other things, you need to show them that you're not going to overreact. 
So Johnny comes home and says, I want to color my hair purple. You know, as Susie wants to get a tattoo, you say, you know, you want to get, just say back to them exactly what they said to you. Oh, you want to get a tattoo? Oh, you want to get your hair, color your hair purple? You're not saying yes. You're not saying no. You're leaving it open. Inside yeah. you are screaming, you are not <laughs> coloring your hair purple, right? But, but we don't. We just listen to that. And then they go, well, yeah, you know, everybody's doing it. And everything in you wants to go, well, who's everybody? Do you, you know, if they all jumped off the roof and you bite your tongue and you say, <laughs> oh, Nancy said five questions. Yeah, so, you know, who else has the purple hair? Is there a lot of people with purple hair? You know, what kind of purple did you want to do? You know, what are the people with purple hair doing? Whatever it is, and you, you will find out what's really important to them. It may be nobody notices me at school. That's a really different conversation, right? And now you can talk about that. Or, you know, the band that I want to be in, they all have colored hair. And if I don't color my hair, I'm not going to be able to be in a band and I'm going to fail out of the life and I'm never going to be able to do anything exciting. That's a different conversation, you know. Yeah. Or I've just got a crush on this girl and she's coloring people's hair and I think she'd notice me if I colored mine. You know, now I can have a good conversation. It keeps us from giving advice or yelling at our children before we know what the real issue is. And done that well, then when Johnny sees pornography on Joey's phone on the bus, he's going to come home and go, hey, mom, or hey, dad, I saw something on Joey's phone today. And you're going to say, inside, you know, oh, crap. But on the outside, you're going to do what you've been practicing that you've learned and what you've taught them, which is I don't overreact. I can be approached. And now I can say, really, what did you see? And he says, oh, you know, it was this naked lady doing blah, blah, blah. And you look at him and go, wow. I'm always honest with my kids. That's really hard to hear. Mm-hmm. I'm not yelling. I'm not going, oh, my God, we're calling the police, and you can't play with that kid anymore. Let's find out what's going on. That's really yeah. hard to hear. That's really hard yeah. to hear. You know, did, you know, who else was doing that? You know, where do you think Joey saw that? You know, what did you think of it? You know, what are you questioning? Now your kid's going to talk to you, and you're going to find out, well, Joey's brother just showed it to him last night, and he showed it to me, and he said, should we be watching this? Now you can call Joey's mom, right? Yeah, <laughs> and say, hey, yeah, yeah. you know, our kids have gotten involved in something. But if he says, well, Joey's been watching it for months, and the man that he's been seeing, you know, that, is, that takes care of them when his parents are, oh, now that's a totally different situation, yeah. right? Yeah, and we right. don't know how to deal with it if we're not having those conversations. And so parents are always surprised when I say to them, it isn't so much about sitting down and talking about the sex or talking about the, the television or the, what they're watching on their phone. It's more about being available. Yeah. And it's not jumping down their throats, giving them five questions before you give them advice or you blow up, you know, or you, know, you tell them what to do. Um, I had my son come home one day, and he said some really, really ugly things about a teacher. And I was not happy with him. And in our house, you're not allowed to use those kind of words. And as we talked, I, you know, and I said, you know, we don't talk like that, but what's going on? And I let him talk, and I said, Janine, you have never talked like this about this teacher before. Why do you hate her so much now? And he got really teary, and he handed me a bunch of notes that the little girl he was sitting beside was um, handing to him. And mm-hmm. there were five times in this conversation I could have sent him to his room for swearing. I could have sent him to his room for saying I go things about this teacher. I could have, you know, I could have looked at him and said, well, of course she's making you sit beside this girl. She's the only girl you don't like. You're not talking to. 
But by not doing that and listening, I found out that her notes were really sexually explicit. And we were able to help him and fix the problem. So I found out what was going on, and my son learned that he could trust me. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant stuff. I, I, Nancy, you've given tools for, pe- for parents and youth advocates to, to use immediately to not overreact, which I think is just golden right there. Wonderful to talk to you. Well, we're out of time, but I want to ask you, how can people find out more about what you have going on or contact you? Is that something you're interested in? Absolutely. Um, you can find me on my website, which is just Nancy Graby, and that's Nancy G R A B like boy, you like Edward. Um, dot com. Um, or you can call me, and I'm more than glad to give a parent a half an hour for free. And that number is six seven eight five nine six six eight eight four. And Nancy, you do uh, phone consultations as well. I I do. Excellent. Wonderful. Well, Nancy, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule, being on the show, and offering parents so many words of wisdom. Oh, well, thanks for inviting me. So delightful having that conversation with Nancy. Uh, She's just got a wonderful spirit and uh, doing such great work out there. Um, Now, listen, if you've thought about becoming a facilitator of the O-Shift workshop kits for either teens or adults, uh, head to OSHIFT.com. You can find out how easy it is. A uh, couple of things that's happened since we created uh, that program. Well, first of all, is um, about a year and a half ago, is we drastically lowered the price. We realized that a lot of the organizations that we work with are nonprofits and don't necessarily have the budget uh, to spend on costly materials. So we um, drastically reduced the price so you can become a facilitator for so inexpensively, and um, there's never anything else to buy. If you are a facilitator of the workshop kit, because all the the worksheets for your uh, participants are downloadable. And the second thing is that we created it so it is super easy to facilitate. I used to teach high school, and of course I know that teachers and people that are working for nonprofits uh, don't have a lot of time to learn a bunch of complex material it's got to be ready to go straight out of the box and so that was always on my mind as we were creating both our curriculum and our workshop kits you get it uh, the material is you, you simply open it up and, and you're ready to go obviously the more you teach it the better you get at it but you get super powerful conversations going with the people with your clients whether they're teens or adults and um, and we've got facilitators of course all over the country and beyond. So if you want more information, you can head to the website and find out plenty, or you can email me at mark at oshift.com. Well, thank you again for joining me. Uh, So delightful to have you as we continue on this journey together to raise healthy, wonderful teenagers. And it's not always easy, but if we work together, we can have success. So thanks again for joining me, and uh, we'll see you again real soon.